live from the betting capital of the world. Vegas, baby, Vegas! It's Wager Talk with Teddy Covers and Ralph Michaels. It's Thursday in Sin City, and welcome to Wager Talk on the Sports Grid TV Network. I'm Teddy Covers at Teddy Covers on Twitter. Joined, as always, by my co-host, Ralph Michaels, at CalSportsLV on Twitter. We'd like to welcome all the Zumo viewers on Channel 719. Welcome to all of you watching on the Sports Grid TV Network. This is your Sports Central for betters. Let's get right into it. We have a loaded hour today. And, Ralph, I got to be honest with you, buddy. During football season, Tuesdays and Wednesdays, you just walk around, you're a little depressed. You don't have that same energy because there's no football on tap. Thursdays, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, no problem. And that'll change come November when we get the MAC games on Tuesday and Wednesday night. But there's something about Thursday here in Vegas in particular. You go into Sportsbook on Tuesday, yeah, there's some people hanging around. You go to Sportsbook Wednesday, yeah, there's people hanging around. Go to Sportsbook on Thursday, they're packed. It's a whole different ball of wax. And we've got Thursday night football to talk about. We'll break all that down later in the show. But first, what we want to do is do like we do every day. Bad beats, bad bets, bad for the books, hot topics in the betting world. And we'll start in baseball for today. The MLB wild card chase on display. And look, we talk about it over and over again. Must win does not equal will win. The Brewers and the Cubs both lost as big home favorites again yesterday. And that's only some of the teams that were in playoff contention that suffered losses. Milwaukee, Chicago go down in flames. What's your take, Ralph Michaels? You know, let's add in the Houston Astros as a 500 favorite. I'm sure there were a load of people betting the Astros on the run line and losing, laying the one and a half runs. Well, you know, yesterday, favorites went five and nine. If you just played every dog on the board, you were plus 9.1 units. And listen to this, Teddy. The favorites on the run line yesterday, one and 13. Wow. And this is something that the public never does. I've never met a recreational better that that l- takes a run and a half with the underdog as opposed to laying a run and a half with the favorite. Just doesn't happen. It's not a bet that recreational players make. Yesterday would have been a really good bet for recreational players to make. Obviously, the dog's going 13-1 and one at plus one and a half. There was a bad beat last night in MLB action that we have to talk about, except for that it was a bad beat in Baltimore, and you can't call an Oriole, another Orioles bullpen meltdown a bad beat. That's what they've done all year. Nonetheless, a 7-1 lead for the Orioles, eh, let it get away. Six runs in the top of the ninth, including a grand slam. Baltimore backers, that was a rough one, but who's a Baltimore backer nowadays? Anybody? I, yeah, I don't think so. I don't think you can be. And look, you know, the Blue Jays are doing what a lot of teams do. You know, you have Biggio batting second and you have Guerrero batting fourth. And, you know, you've got these young players that you're playing and they're playing with excitement. That's what you look for in September, that the teams that have something potentially to play for next season and are playing young, exciting players. And it's contagious. Yeah. And Toronto, I'm with you as a concept that the Blue Jays offer betting potential over the last 10 days of the MLB regular season. So that game produced 21 runs. There was 21 runs in Baltimore. And yet, we never get to talk about the Grand Salami. I love talking about the Grand Salami because it says a lot about what happened last night. The Grand Salami, the total number of runs 
for all the baseball games. Stayed under by 26 and a half runs. One low-scoring game after the next. That's why all the favorites crashed and burned on the run line. And if you're betting the Grand Salami yesterday, you had a pretty easy rocking chair deal with the under in total runs scored on the entire MLB card. Well, you know, Teddy, if you say there's 21 runs in one game and the Grand Salami stayed under by 26 and a half runs, it's absolutely no surprise to tell you the totals in Major League Baseball went 2-11-1 over under, or 11 of the 14 games went under the total. Yeah, and that's in a situation where we really haven't seen the cooler fall weather yet over much of the country. So it's not like lower uh, uh, lower temperatures making it more difficult for batters to hit like we see sometimes in early season play in April when it's really hard to hit those fastballs, you know, when it's 35 degrees and the wind is blowing. That's not the case in right now in MLB. Certainly wasn't the case last night where uh, most of the games played in optimal weather conditions. Let's, sh- let's shift our focus now over to the NFL ranks and talk about some key news for tonight. Jalen Ramsey has said, trade me. I want out of town. And the Jags are like, okay, maybe. We're not going to trade you for tonight's game. It looks like Ramsey is going to play. There are supposedly six or seven teams very interested in picking him up. Do you think the Jags are taking an unnecessary risk putting their star cornerback on the field this evening when he could get hurt and that could d- diminish his trade value moving forward? No, I, I think you need to play him. You know, you have no luck in Indianapolis. You've seen Houston vulnerable against Jacksonville. You've seen what Jacksonville does. I think this is the division game, and you need to prioritize it. You have a great shot to win the division here if you play well. Uh, you know, you don't have a great shot, obviously, but you have a shot. You're still in it. I mean, if you win this, you're one and two, and no one's, you know, no one's that far better than you. I think you should play him. Yeah, and the one again, the 0-2 teams in theory are supposed to play like their hair's on fire in week number three. It's official now. The Saints are going to use both quarterbacks. We can expect Taysom Hill and Teddy Bridgewater at Seattle this Saturday. Good decision or bad decision by Sean Payton? You know, I'm only going by what people have told me. I I think a quarterback needs to get in rhythm. We see that when it's very sketchy bringing quarterbacks in and out, no one can feel hot or, or get their timing down. I would play one if it doesn't work out this week. You play the next next week. I'm with you on that one 100%. And last but not least, a Jets Dolphins Moneyline Parlay pays 239 to 1. Ralph, you interested? It's a two teamer. Only that has to happen is the Jets and Dolphins have to win as 21 point plus underdogs. You in? No. But, you know, we talk about having fun and when you have these isolated games, not going crazy. Here's what I will tell you. I did play the college game tonight and all three college games tomorrow. All four dogs on the money line, it paid 80 to 1 if it hits. 80 to 1, that's nothing compared to the 239 to 1 you can get if the Jets and Dolphins win in straight up fashion and you parlay them together on Sunday. We'll be right back with Line Movers here on Wake. Are you ready for the nation's first and only free 24 hour network dedicated to you, the betting and fantasy sports enthusiast? SportsGrid will provide you with real-time content, statistics, and gaming intelligence unlike anything you've ever seen before. 
Located both in the heart of New York City and inside the FanDuel Sportsbook at the Meadowlands, SportsGrid is live 18 hours a day. Here to serve you, the fanatic. This is SportsGrid. Get on the grid. It's time for Line Movers here on Wage Talk as Ralph and I break down where the money is going and most importantly, why the money is going in the direction that it is. Are these games we want to bet now or these games we want to wait until before kickoff? Let's start going through it because there's been a bunch of fairly substantial line moves over the last 24 hours and it starts in New England where it's been nothing but Patriots money. The Pats now minus 23 against the Jets. And yes, if you were wondering, this is in every game of the Jets franchise history since their inception. This is the biggest underdog that they've ever, ever, ever been. And that includes the old days where the point spread data isn't that good. And of course, the modern era, era where the point spread data is spot on. Pats minus 23. Is it high enough? What's your take, Ralph? Well, let me just add a little bit to that history. You know, my database goes back to 1989, and there have only been five NFL games with a line of 21 or higher. Should note that those five games have gone 0-5 ATS. The highest spread was Denver against Jacksonville back in 2013 as a 26-point favorite. Um, You know, I... I think the Patriots need motivation to cover this spread um, or Belichick needs to be calling the same plays on defense to be able to pressure fails to get the big win. But you know what? They had a reason to crush Miami. They had gone. They had lost what back to back games. They were two and five their last seven. Does Belichick's does Belichick's uh, being upset on Miami last week carry over? because? The same head coach of the Miami Dolphins that beat him the last two years is now part of the Jets. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I mean, we saw two interception return touchdowns. That certainly made a big difference uh, for the total in New England. I mean, it made the final score look worse than the game was. I won't lay more than three touchdowns in any NFL game. Regardless, I will not be on New England this weekend. There are better bets out there. So we have a definition now about how much Cam Wharton-Newton is worth against the spread. The initial line had Carolina in the minus three range. Now, the new line is opened with Arizona minus two and a half. The market's saying Cam Newton is worth five and a half points compared to Kyle Allen. I think that's short. I think Cam Newton's worth more than that. Nothing that I saw from Allen this preseason makes me excited about looking at the Panthers this week. I can agree that short. But I'm going to disagree with the Cam Newton that we saw on the field last game. I think it's only a field goal difference because if you have a Cam Newton that was banged up, couldn't run the ball from the one, you didn't quarterback sneak, and you ran a stretch play on the most important play of the season, you didn't have a uh, healthy Cam Newton. So if you're basing on the line from what Carolina did last game, I think a field goal. If you have a completely healthy Cam Newton that can run the ball and get you multiple first downs running, I, I agree with with six or seven. Of course, the Newton injury that has been troubling him is not from last year. It's from week three of the preseason 
where Carolina went in New England, got slapped around, and Newton got pulled early after hurting his foot. That's still affecting him more than a month later, and it's affecting him, obviously, very negatively. Willie Fritz is getting some love. Tulane up to minus five, the total up uh, to 57. And this is a rarity in this series. Tulane has not been the better program compared to Houston for the better part of the last, what, five decades? The markets are saying this year, all that's changed. Yeah, let's talk about how much it's changed. Over the last 14 meetings, the average line in the series was Houston minus 16. So you have a 21-point swing from that. I don't understand this line move. Look, Houston's played two top 30 opponents in Oklahoma and Washington State, both away from home. Tulane's played nobody, one of the weakest schedules in college football. I think this is clearly an overreaction because of the strength of schedule up until this point. That being said, Tulane runs a very quirky offense, which is basically the opposite of what Houston saw last week when they were facing Washington State. So at least some of this has to do, some of the line move towards Tulane has to do with how is Houston going to adjust from playing air raid one week to an option attack the next. Uh, we're seeing heavy Air Force money again this week at Boise, despite the fact, well, number one, I mean, Air Force was impressive last week against Colorado. And even though the game went into overtime, don't be fooled. Air Force was a better team start to finish. They could have won that game by margin in regulation, but they made a bunch of mistakes. And that's something that concerns me when Air Force steps up in class. Can they do it again? The markets say yes. The markets say Boise's home field isn't what it was. Then again, the money's been wrong on Boise pretty much every week. Heavy Air Force money coming in against the Boise Broncos. Well, no one was surprised at, at Boise's win at Florida State more than me. You know, I had a top play on Florida State, a loser. Uh, but I look at this game, and this is a different Air Force team with 14 returning starters. The academies normally don't get that many returning starters. Last year against Boise, they, they had 443 yards. They played well. They know how to handle Boise. And... Uh, this is probably one of the most difficult scheduling situations for a regular team going to Colorado and then going to Boise back-to-back -back weeks. But let's remember, you know, this Air Force, you know, Air Force players are not regular college football players. You know, they are military people that are regimented and, and don't have the same fall off. Couple technicals in this game and a lot, that's, you know, a big part of the reason why there's so much Air Force money Air Force, as a dog of seven or more, has gone 9-1-2 and two against the spread their last 12 games. Boise, as a home favorite of seven or more, has only gone 6-16-1 against the spread. But I will say this, those Boise teams from a few years back used to be laying 28 points in conference games. Here, you know, you're laying a very fair price if you're a Boise backer. Sure, sure. And, uh, you know, one thing that Air Force has not been able to do in recent meetings is slow down Boise's passing attack. And I worry about how they'll match up with the Broncos receivers in the secondary in this one. Boise or pass for this better, despite the trends pointing in the other direction. So the markets are expecting a blowout. It's been nothing but UCF money. And again, UCF blew out Stanford last week. They take their step-up games against Power 5 opponents very seriously. And Pitt coming off a down-to-the-wire battle against Penn State where they hung around but didn't get the win. And now we're seeing complete market disrespect for Pitt 
Lots of UCF money, 12 and a half in some spots right now. I think Pitt's going to get some buyback. I think I think the Sharps know Pitt's defense is greatly improved this year. You, you held Virginia to 310. You went to Penn State. Yeah, they put up 389 yards. But your defense did a fantastic job holding them to 17 first downs. I, I cannot see. I think this is a huge letdown for UCF. I was on UCF last week. You watched that game, how excited they were to be hosting Stanford on ESPN. The national crowd watching. Now going up to Pitt where you're going to be playing on grass, slows down your speed against a legitimate defense. Uh, I like the Pitt Panthers. Yeah, and I'll tell you what. You said that there's likely to be wise guy money, and you're absolutely right. Looking over at my live odd screen right now, we have seen a little bit of wise guy money. The sharper books pointing downwards on the UCF line. Cal against Ole Miss. Interesting intersectional rivalry here. SEC against the Pac-12. We've seen nothing but under money in this one. Two teams, I mean, Cal's an under machine. Their offense stinks and their defense is great. Ole Miss has been an underachiever on offense early on and their defense has exceeded expectations. Markets like a low-scoring game in Oxford on Saturday. Yeah, I like a low-scoring game, too. You know, one dynamic in this game, I look back the last 10 years, I did not find any. You know, we talk in the NFL, West Coast teams playing early, but you have a Cal team playing at 9 a.m. Pacific. That's only happened a handful of times. For those that think 42 or less is too low to bet in college football, if you've bet every college football total the last few years, they've gone 16 and 25 over under or 61% to the under, even with that low total. Yeah, and especially for that early start game, you can anticipate a Cal team that's likely to come into the game a little bit tired. We all know college kids and 9 a.m. classes, 9 a.m. game time can be very Hey, thanks for downloading this podcast. If you want to listen live, be sure to download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Wager Talk is not a pick show. We will give you opinions on every game that we have opinions on. We will tell you we're going to pass and we're going to pass. We'll talk about size total. We'll talk about the trends and angles. The goal of this show is to give you a ton of information in an hour to help you make educated wagers. That's what we try to do. So when we do big game breakdowns like we're doing right now, we're going to do a segment of college, and then we'll do a segment of the NFL. The concept is giving you strong, usable information where you can make educated decisions about what you want to bet. We'll give you opinions when we have them, but this is about information, not about picks. Just to recognize where our focus is coming from. And let's start with the one game on the college football slate for tonight. We talked about it a little bit earlier with Tulane and Houston. And all the money has come on the green wave in this one. Sounds to me, Ralph, like you like the other side. You like the Cougars plus the points. You know, it's not strong enough to make my card, but I just I think there is too much of an overreaction. My power ratings prior to the season had Houston minus five points in this role, so there's a 10-point swing. Yes, I've up Tulane with the way they've played in their new offense, and uh, Houston, to me, has, has stayed about the same. The concern for me is 
You watched uh, you watched De'Ara King, and he's not running in some spots where he could be running. And I don't know if that's an injury. I don't know if they've told him, listen, our our priority is winning the conference. Let's keep you healthy and win conference games. One thing I can say is, you know, despite losing by 18 at Oklahoma and despite losing by seven to Washington State in a neutral setting, neutral being where the Houston Texans play, so not really neutral, it does give a quarterback like De'Ara King and the Houston Cougars an advantage going into Tulane, having played multiple games away from home before you play your conference opener. Yeah, my personal biggest worry about the Tulane side in this game is can they get stops on defense? I think that that funky Tulane offense is going to give Houston's defense problems. But if the Green Wave don't get stops, you can't cover numbers. I lean to the over in this one. But uh, like you, Ralph, it's not anything that I've actually gone to the betting window and bet yet. Important note the difference. Lean? Yeah, I lean that way. Bet money came out of my pocket. (laughs) <laughs> and and is in the sports book right now awaiting the decision, there is a significant difference between, yeah, I lean that way, and yeah, I actually bet this, or I had my clients bet this too, for what that's worth. Texas, Oklahoma State. This one should be fun on Saturday night. A big 12, a shootout, total sitting at 73. Longhorns, minus five and a half. Some books are at five, some books they're at six. The broader line at five and a half, and good news for Texas, they're getting healthier right now. Three injured starters all supposed to play this week. The senior wide receiver, Colin Johnson, has a hamstring injury. He's an impact player. The senior center, Zach Shackelford, he's an impact player. And the sophomore linebacker, Joseph Asai, uh, who is not necessarily an impact player, but you like that depth on the defensive side of the football. But Colin Johnson is a difficult matchup for anyone. I'm not convinced the Oklahoma State Cowboys are going to be able to shut him down. I think Texas gets theirs in this game. My question for you, Ralph, can the Cowboys trade points with the Longhorns for 60 minutes? Because I think Texas gets in the 40s here. I think they can. Uh, You know, you're going with the young quarterbacks, uh, Spencer Sanders. But this kid, I mean, was ready to play. He He was Mr. Texas coming out of high school. Heck, he, he probably played in fun or bigger crowds than some Sunbelt schools play as, as he was growing up and playing. You have a dual-threat quarterback, which always adds to the troubles of, of stopping a opponent on defense. You got Hubbard, who is an explosive running back, averaging 7.9 yards per carry. Tyler Wallace averaging 26 yards per catch. And it's not as if, though, they played a cupcake schedule. This will be their third true road game. Yes, going to Corvallis and putting up 500 yards at Oregon State isn't the best performance. Putting up 500 yards at Tulsa isn't the best performance. But you, for all three games, you put up 500 yards. Yes, you did it at Oregon State. Yes, you did it at Tulsa. I think that's a great starting point as you go to Texas now to play this game. You have confidence. The road doesn't phase you. The Yes, the crowd will be bigger and the crowd will be louder. But I think this Oklahoma State team can score enough to put this over the total. Yeah, I watched Okie State in Tulsa last week, and the Cowboys were tested in that game. They trailed at halftime. But Tulsa moved the football against them 
that concerns me here. And also, it's a misleading final score in the sense of all they wanted to do was get one first down and take a knee, and instead, your boy broke uh, a touchdown run and ended up with a 40-21 to win instead of a 33-21 to win. Made a difference ATS, made a difference in the stats, made no difference in the game. So I think that they're a little bit overvalued in this spot. I would only look at Texas minus the points. This is a game I don't know what to do with. And I keep getting asked about it, and I keep saying, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you got a better take than me. Florida State minus 6.5, total of 61 against Louisville. We're seeing sevens popping up. There is clear wise guy support for the Seminoles, even after you know, they looked good for a good portion of the game last week against Virginia. And then with the game on the line in the fourth quarter, it was Louisiana Monroe all over again. Can you lay points with the Seminoles? And if not, can you take them with a Louisville team that has lost their, I mean, I don't know if Pass is going to play. Juwan Pass, he returned to practice uh, on Tuesday. But the market said there was absolutely no difference between him and Malik Cunningham, his backup, last week when, the, when uh, it was announced Pass wasn't going to play and the markets didn't move. And I don't think there's a whole lot of difference between these two QBs from a power rating or how good is Louisville perspective, uh, whether the original starter pass or the second stringer Cunningham ends up suiting up here. What's your take? Because I don't have a strong one on this one. Well, I was wrong week one, Florida State against Boise. I was wrong week two. I thought Florida State would would handle ULM. Well, not only did they not handle them, they had to survive to win by one. Um, I thought they would be competitive against Virginia and, uh, you know, they got outgained by a hundred yards. You know, the game was back and forth and, you know, Virginia needed to, uh, you know, Florida state led 14 to 10 at the half. So Virginia had to come back, but you know, one, one note about Willie Taggart, he does not control his team very well. Each of the past two years, and so this is two teams, this is both Oregon and Florida State last year, there's 130 teams in FBS football. He was 122nd and I think 125th the last two years with him with his teams committing penalties. So his teams are not structured. They're, they're usually the worst, one of the worst 10 teams in football with penalties. We've seen him sloppy so far and make mistakes that shouldn't happen. And again, I just can't back a team like that. That's that's not playing very well. So, you know, Florida State's probably the team that I, in my mind, dropped the most from week one to now and have been the most disappointed in. And it's worth noting, Ralph, this is so key for those of you out there in viewer land. We're going to have lots of opinions. We're going to talk about lots of games. When you're wrong about a team, and that happens all the time, you're going to lo- if you're in this business, you are going to lose bets, and you're going to be wrong about some teams some of the time. When you've got a team that you're wrong about, and then you're wrong about again, and you're wrong about again, those are teams I, I leave alone. You know, I leave them alone for a period of time before I get back involved again. We're all going to have teams like that. Me, you, pros, Joes, doesn't matter. Don't be freaked out. Just say, all right, I got a bad read on Florida State. Let's give them a couple of weeks. We'll come back and give them a fresh look for the back half of the campaign. Speaking of fresh looks, I said that Kalani Satake was going to be out at BYU. Well, lo and behold, they knock off Tennessee in overtime. They knock off uh, USC last week in a wild and woolly affair. And now they're only six and a half point home dogs to mighty Washington. Total 52 and a half. 
Last year, this was 35-7, to and it wasn't that close. The Huskies were able to do whatever they wanted to. They outgained BYU for more than 300 yards in that ballgame. What changes when it goes to Provo? Well, you know, is there a more difficult spot than BYU has been in? Player in-state rival opening week on national TV Thursday. Go to the Deep South to play an SEC team that is desperate for a win. You had a 0% chance to win with under a minute to go. You come back, you pull it out, you win in overtime. You play the the premier or the old premier team on the West Coast, USC, you win in overtime. It's only happened 10 times in 10 years that teams has been off back-to-back overtime wins and they're at home. They have gone 8-2 and two against the spread, which surprises me. My number has this game that I should be favoring BYU, but in the situation they're in, with Eason handling the quarterback situation well, having a defense that's better than any of the they've seen the last two weeks, you know, I, I lean BYU, but I, I, I couldn't bet them in any sense. And if Washington wins this by two touchdowns, it wouldn't surprise me at all. What I'm really surprised in this game is the money coming on the over. I can't fathom how that BYU offense is going to move the football against the Cougs defense. Uh, sorry, the Huskies defense. But uh, Washington, uh, BYU's defense has been solid. They, you know, No one's been moving the football up and down the field uh, against the Cougs just yet. Let's talk about these two games together, and we got to do it quick. Alabama, minus 39, 61 and a half against Southern Miss. Clemson, minus 41 and a half, total of 61 against Charlotte. Dogs, favorites, what do you do with the top two teams in the country this week? Well, Alabama has not been good as a 35-plus point home favorite. It's not that they've been bad, but it's under 500. Clemson, I don't know. Charlotte, I think Charlotte can score a couple touchdowns. I'd probably lean with both dogs. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see those two games being high-scoring affairs. I like Alabama Southern Miss over in particular. I don't trust that Crimson Tide defense to shut them down for 60 minutes. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Wager Talk. Teddy Covers and Ralph Michaels breaking it down for you on this Thursday. Of course, if you're following us on Twitter, as you should be, you should also be following SportsGrid on Twitter. At SportsGrid, you'll get live links as they come out to all the shows that are on this fine network. And of course, download download the SportsGrid app. You can get all this content available on demand on a daily basis. So follow SportsGrid and download that app. Yeah, we've talked bad beats, bad bets. We've talked line movers. We've talked college football. Ralph, you and I both know the NFL is king when it comes to betting. Let's get into a detailed NFL segment right here. Let's start with Thursday night football. The Tennessee Titans minus one and a half. There's some twos popping up. The total's been bet all the way down to 38 at Jacksonville tonight. And this is a Titans team that overachieved week one. Misleading final score. That game was 15-13 to 13 before that late 28-0 runout from Tennessee. And then underachieved last week, a game they probably should have won, but let it get away. Just 1 of 10 on third downs for Marcus Mariota, 0 of 1 on fourth downs. But they got a rookie QB on a short week. What's your take about Gardner Minshew and the mustache tonight, Titans and the Jags? 
Well, I, again, I'm with you that I am completely underwhelmed with Tennessee, although I think you think they're they're going to turn it around tonight. I'll get back to you in a minute on that. Um, you know, I, I, I really don't even have a lean on this game, and it's a rarity for me to go into an NFL Thursday night game and not have a lean on side in total. I look at it and I'd say, you know, both offices haven't done anything, but when you have a division games, um, certain things happen and, and, and funny things happen and teams sometimes move the balls. So I'm going to leave it with this, Teddy. I'm going to give our, our listeners two, two angles that are pretty positive. It's not saying that I'm leaning with the side, but it's something to think about when you're handicapping the game. Thursday night, division away favorites of six and a half or less. So small division away favorites like Tennessee is have gone 14-6-2 against the spread. That is 70%. And when you have NFL home dogs that both teams were in low-scoring games, scoring and allowing under 20 points like both teams did last week, they've actually gone 17-4 and to the over. So 17 of 21 games, people think after last week, low-scoring game, oh, it's going to be low again. But again, 17 of 21 in those situations have gone over. Before we move to the Patriots and Jets, any last thoughts on this game from you, Teddy? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I do want to talk about the Thursday night games, of course, so far. We've seen two Thursday night games. They've both been defensive scrums. They've both stayed way over the total, way under uh, the total. That trend you pointed out, where you have a team where there's a home dog situation and both teams played defensive scrums last week, 17-4 and four to the over is not something to sneeze at. That, in my mind, a meaningful number. And look, you talk about the nuances of Thursday night football. Here's a nuance for you. I don't want a rookie QB pressed into starting action with less than a full week to prepare. It's just that simple. So a priori for me, it's Tennessee or pass. And the fact they fall in to that 70% angle with uh, the short Thursday night division favorites, yeah, Titans are passed for this better. Well, we talked about this in line movers earlier and New England now up get, reaching historic numbers, laying 23 to the New York Jets. Well, with a total of 44, it's telling us uh, if the Jets are going to score 10 points and the Patriots are going to cover, it's probably going to go over. Do you think the Jets can score 10 points against this new Belichick called defense of the New England Patriots? So games like this, I don't get involved with, flat out. I mean, uh, uh, there's you're not going to make money in September betting on the very worst teams in the league. And right now, I mean, look. We saw what happened on Monday night. That game was non-competitive. The Jets' offense had no chance. They had no chance with their second-string quarterback in, let alone with their third-string quarterback. So now we have a third-string quarterback going up to Foxborough where Belichick eats these guys alive. The Patriots' defense is a pick-six waiting to happen. I do not trust Luke Falk. The Jets' secondary, who got benched last week, everyone's bitching at everyone. The Adam Gase era is dicey uh, you know, <laughs> already. And on and on down the line, there's not a case I'm going to make for the Jets here. I'm not going to do it. I don't want three touchdown dogs in the NFL. I don't want them in any sport. Because you know what? That, that, that in order for them to cover, it means the other team has to not bring their A game. And right now, I don't want to try. I don't trust the Patriots not to bring their A game. That quote from Belichick, we talked about it on Monday show, where Belichick says, we're playing 60 minutes. I mean, am I going to lay it? No, I'm not going to lay it. <laughs> uh, you know, you don't get rich laying three touchdowns in an NFL game, but 
one of the biggest edges that betters have over the lines makers. We never talk about this. Might be the biggest edge. The bookies have to put up a number for every single game. Side, total, first half, second half. Every game's got numbers on it. As a better, you get to pick and choose. You get to say, no, this is the one, you know, they could put up a 32, you know, the, the, the 16 NFL games, 32 potential sides, 32 potential, you know, you can go over under for each one of those. So you have 64 potential variables. They can make one mistake, and that's enough to give you a monster weekend. <laughs> they get 63 right, uh, but if they make one mistake, that's the edge. So this is the spot I'm not going to get involved, the Patriots, Jets. You know, I, I, like I said, a 200, I, I, I will put, a, a recreational sized wager on the Jets money line and on the Dolphins money line. Um, that's the weird things happening week three of the NFL. We're going to see a shocker or two or three this weekend. You can count on it. I wouldn't count on it in this game. You know, your your comment that you made about Belichick playing 60 minutes, that's something you want to look at moving forward when New England's a favorite, maybe a smaller favorite where they could perhaps extend the lead. And I will tell you that the exact same quote came out of Cleveland with Freddie Kitchens. Now, I am not comparing Freddie Kitchens to Bill Belichick at all, but the, you saw the Browns extend the lead and throwing the ball late against the Jets. If they're in that situation and they're the better team later on and you're laying points with the Browns, Keep that in mind and watch if Freddie Kitchens does extend the lead later on in the game. Well, you said you don't want to play against some of the worst teams in the NFL early in September, then I'm sure you certainly don't want to play on the worst team, the Miami Dolphins. Two 21-point favorites this week for the first time probably in NFL history. The Cowboys minus 21.5, 47.5. We know you're not going to have much to say on the side Perhaps something on the total in this game, Teddy? If I was going to play the game, I'd take Miami plus. You know, Dallas isn't New England. Don't think that for a minute. And Jason Garrett sure as heck isn't Bill Belichick. Uh, and we've seen the Cowboys twice in each of the first two weeks. They scored five drives in a row, and that's it. Shut it down, run the ball up the middle three times, and punt. They're not. We're going to extend this margin. We're going to throw deep in the fourth quarter. We saw a bunch of coaches doing that <laughs> uh, this past Sunday, you know. Uh, and then McVay started it in L.A., and it's picking up around the league. And we like that. We hate it when they run the ball in the line three times and punt and say our defense is going to win this game. We like it when they take a shot, uh, even when that shot doesn't work. Of course, you don't necessarily like it when you're taking the underdog. But Dallas doesn't do that. Dallas isn't going to chuck long with the lead. They're going to run the ball three times up the middle and punt. I could only take Miami in this game. And, of course, the Dolphins, again, last week, two pick sixes. And the final score looks worse than the game, actually. Not that Miami was competitive. They weren't. They've been non-competitive. But 21 and a half is too much for this matchup. And I think it's a good thing for the Dolphins to leave home. And I think it's a good thing that they're trading the guys that don't want to be there. And I think that there's some point spread hope for Miami down the line. So, again, is this a strong opinion? Am I loading up on the Dolphins? Heck no. I put a couple of bucks on them? Maybe. And, again, I will have money line in my pocket on both the Jets, and the Dolphins by kickoff on Sunday. Small bets. Very small bets. Well, the Bruce Arians era in Tampa Bay got their first win. Uh, Tampa Bay went into Carolina, now with extra rest back at home. They're a six-and-a-half-point favorite, a total of 48. The Giants era has now officially, or maybe not officially, but it's switched from Eli Manning to Daniel Jones. We have a rookie making his first start on the road. Your takes, Tampa Bay and the New York Giants. 
Well, now, now watch this. Now watch Daniel Jones get hurt in the first quarter, and then they're back to Eli again. You know, uh, it's an interesting scenario for the Giants, especially when we consider the fact that when you talk about overachieving units through the first two weeks of the season, the Bucks' defensive front has been solid. And they're getting a pass rush. And they've done a nice job against the run. And you can you already know what Tampa's defensive game plan is going to be. It's going to be shut down Saquon Barkley and make the rookie beat us. That being said, the markets have absolutely sniffed. It said, ah, oh, Eli's out and the rookie's in. <sighs> they don't care. There's no power difference between the two teams. Daniel Jones played well at Duke in hostile environments. He played well in the preseason, yada, yada. And for the strength of Tampa's front seven on defense, they still have questions in the secondary. And it's a Buccaneers offense that, I mean, this is the basic question. Is Tampa Bay the kind of team you want to be laying a touchdown with? Because they don't have a whole lot of track record at winning and covering games this home. Chalk, not as bad as some teams in the NFL. Uh, there's one team laying this week that hasn't covered a spread as home chalk in five years. And that stood out to me. But <laughs> uh, realistically, you know, the Giants defense has been gashed each of the first two weeks. I wouldn't be surprised they play a little bit better here. I don't look, I don't think Jameis Winston is going to be capable of marching Tampa's offense up and down the field for 60 minutes. Last week here, before we knew Big Ben was going to get hurt, you said, give me Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks with points. It's a situation that I'm going to back. Well, you know, they got the win. They looked very good, of course, did it against the Pittsburgh team that lost Big Ben and Connor got hurt. Now, we have a team that I think this line looks short to me. Seattle back at home against a duo of Bridgewater and Taysom Hill. Seattle minus four, total of 45. Agree with me looking at the Seattle side? That's the only way I can look in this game. I don't want New Orleans without their quarterback. Drew Brees is not an average quarterback. He's not a good quarterback. He's not an elite quarterback. He is one of the true elite quarterbacks. If you watch that offense, the second half against the Texans, once they found a rhythm, there was literally, literally no way to stop it. I don't know. I, I defense quarter. I don't know what you do. You can't blitz. You can't guard everyone. You can't. There's too many guys in too too many places that Breeze knows where everyone's supposed to be and gets the ball to them in stride. Teddy Bridgewater's not going to do that. Taysom Hill's not going to do that. And the Seahawks again, their statistical profile doesn't impress anybody. <laughs> All they do is win games and cover point spreads. The Seattle are passed for this better. Oh. The Chargers, you know, we talked about the Chargers week one. Uh, thanks to Vinatieri, they got the win. Week two, they go into Detroit. And, uh, you know, again, only put up 10 points, lose 13 to 10. This week now, facing the Houston Texans, a three-and-a-half-point favorite, a total of 47-and-a-half. We've talked about probably the lowest home field edge in football with the L.A. Chargers, your take, in about a minute. Yeah, I mean, look. It's a Chargers team that the final score of both of their first two games are not indicative of how they were played. They turned the ball over in the end zone against Indy, and that's why that game went into overtime. It was a Rivers pick, and otherwise they win that game by one or two scores. That Colts touchdown to tie it at the end would have been a Colts touchdown to make it a seven-point deficit. You understand? I mean, it was a big turnover in the end zone. Same story last week. The Philip Rivers quote, the third quarter, we felt like we were about to blow them out. And then at the end of this quarter, we didn't score any points. No, they had two different touchdowns called back on penalties. Their first and goal at the one and fumble. Um, they were the better team against the Lions. 
and the final score didn't necessarily indicate that. So it does concern me that L.A. is not living up to those expectations, And but I don't think there's something of an undervalued commodity. That being said, the Texans, a good defensive dog, and catching more than a field goal, uh, you might be interested. Not a game I'm going to bet, Ralph. It's a clear pass for this better. So much more to talk about when we come back. We're going to talk about the number one stat for wise guys. Stay tuned here on Wager Talk. Are you ready for the nation's first and only free 24-hour network dedicated to you, the betting and fantasy sports enthusiast? SportsGrid will provide you with real-time content, statistics, and gaming intelligence unlike anything you've ever seen before. Located both in the heart of New York City and inside the FanDuel Sportsbook at the Meadowlands, SportsGrid is live 18 hours a day, here to serve you, the fanatic. This is SportsGrid. Get on the grid. We're here in the whole stretch as we talk. Thank you so much for spending time on your busy day with us, but Ralph, we've got one more thing to get through before this show is done. And that, of course, might be the single most important part of the show. The number one stat for wise guys. You say, oh, what do the betting markets react to? What do they respond to? This is the stat that stands out. And you don't see it in most of the mainstream media. That stat, yards per play on offense, what they gain, and on defense, what they allow, and the differential between the two, that's a huge part of how teams are ranked. And here we are, week four in college, week three in the NFL. Stats starting to become a piece of the equation every week when it comes to how the lines are set. Talk about yards per play in both college and the NFL. Well, the, 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 difference, the difference is this. You know, in fact, I just tweeted out something today if people are looking. I, 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 I sent out a stat sheet with uh, yards per game diff, yards per play diff, and in college football, but you have to include the strength of schedule. In the NFL, even in the NFL, when you're looking at yards per play, I think in September you have to look at the strength of schedule of what the teams played and compare the two. Later on, those schedules are going to even out in the NFL. They never even out in college football unless you're looking at division or conference-only stats. So completely agree. Yards per play are so important because anyone can get a fluke 90-yard play. But when you have multiple plays and over a period of time when you're running offensive plays and you're able to gain those four and five yards per play it makes all the difference in the world to me defensive yards per play are even more important than offensive yards per play and of course when you talk about the mainstream media the way they present these type of stats is well the number one rushing offense is the team that's gained the most rushing yards regardless of how many carries it took them to get there Number one passing offense is the team that has the most passing yards, regardless of how many attempts that it took them to get there. Yards per play is the metric you want to use. I encourage you to try it this weekend in college and the NFL. Again, thank you. Thank you so much for hanging out with us, Ralph and I. Hope you had a good time. Hope we gave you some info you can use. Good luck with your wagers tonight. We'll see you again tomorrow right here on Wager Talk on the Sports Grid.